You're going to love this. Just love it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if you will. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, up in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Blanketing Planet Earth. On Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again. Always delightful to have you here. Uh, boy, what a week. What a week it has uh, it has been already. Um, amazing, actually, just after uh, posting yesterday's show in which I actually debunked a whole bunch of, of claims that are being made by Bernie Sanders supporters uh, about the uh, about the primary elections on Tuesday in Kentucky and Oregon claims that Hillary Clinton is stealing the election. And uh, pointing to uh, uh, problems that did occur during the uh, during the tabulation on Tuesday night in both Kentucky and Oregon and basically going through and looking at those uh, concerns and by and large debunking them, debunking all of them. I can't debunk all of them in that. uh, Yes, in Kentucky, they do use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens in enough of the state that we are unlikely to ever know who actually won the Kentucky uh, the Kentucky prime Democratic primary uh, with just a couple of less than 2000 votes between uh, Sanders and Clinton, Clinton coming out ahead, according to the reported results uh, by, like I say, less than 2000, less than one half of one percent. And for now, they are splitting the delegates evenly. I think there's an odd number. So one may end up going to uh, Hillary Clinton once they finally certify that race. In any event, I published that uh, uh, story at bradblog.com yesterday, posted yesterday's show. Uh, I also posted over at Daily Coast, where I have been invited to uh, post as part of the uh, Daily Coast radio group over there. And man, did I hear from those folks at Daily Coast. Man, were they unhappy that I was pointing out uh, these uh, concerns about fraud, even though what I was doing 
in yesterday's show, in that case, was debunking those uh, those concerns, debunking uh, the various charges coming from Bernie Sanders supporters. And yet over at Daily Coast, they are really in the in the tank, it seems, for Hillary Clinton, which is fine. But uh, to criticize me for raising these uh, concerns, not even raising them, but for, for looking into those concerns that Bernie Sanders supporters had and then debunking them. Uh, apparently, they didn't actually listen to the show. They just looked at what I wrote about the show. And even in what I wrote about the show, I pointed out the fact that, uh, uh, you know, that, that the charges could not be substantiated by and large that were being made by the Sanders supporters. So they hated, I guess, that show yesterday without actually listening to the show. That's fine. Um, but if they hated yesterday's show, Desi Doyen... <laughs> I'm not sure. Hi, how are you? By Hi, the way, I'm good. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to like today's much better uh, because, uh, well, you'll find out oh, when, okay. I, when I introduce my guest momentarily. Oh, goody. Yes. The California electorate. Uh, oh, hey, that's me. Uh, finally get to ring in on the 2016 presidential primaries in a little over two weeks. But next Monday, May 23rd, is the deadline to register to vote out here in California, the largest voting jurisdiction in uh, in the country. So it's the last chance, Monday, May 23rd, to register out here. And it's the last chance to change one's uh, party affiliation if one wants in uh, to participate in one of the various party primaries that will be held on June 7th. The political parties essentially out here in California get to choose whether they have an open or a closed primary. They get to choose essentially who should or shouldn't participate in their presidential primaries in California. And each party chooses to do so a little bit differently. For example, to vote in the Republican presidential primary out here, one must be registered as a Republican. But to vote in the Democratic primary, one must either be registered as a Democrat or as a non-affiliated or no party preference or decline to state voter. We use a lot of names for it out here because we want to confuse as many people as possible. Now, uh, voters who are registered with no party preference but would like to vote in the June 7th presidential primary for a Republican or a Green or a Peace and Freedom Party presidential candidate, they must change their party affiliation to one of those respective parties by Monday, May 23rd. So since some of our uh, broadcast affiliates here play our show the next day, today's show actually may be the last one you get to hear before the deadline hits to register or change your party affiliation out here in California in time to vote in the June 7 election. And... Since that's the case, and some may be deciding if they prefer to vote in the Democratic primary or, for example, in the Green Party presidential primary, today's show is the last chance for the Green Party to make their case to voters in that regard in advance of the California primary. We discuss Democrats and Republicans plenty around here, but we haven't yet had the chance to discuss many third party options 
that voters have this year because the Republicans and the Democrats seem to be just so much fun this year. So uh, so today seems to offer the perfect opportunity to do just that. Joining me now is the 2012 Green Party presidential nominee and a 2016 Green Party presidential candidate. Some might say the leading candidate, Dr. Jill Stein. She's a Massachusetts physician who is once again hoping to make the world a better place and drive millions of Democratic voters nuts in the bargain. Mind you, that's a very short drive. Oh, and for the moment, at least, it should be noted here that in terms of general election votes, Jill Stein is also the most successful female presidential candidate in U.S. history, at least for the moment. Uh, Jill Stein, uh, welcome to the broadcast. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Brad. Delighted to have you. Uh, over the years, we've had on the show uh, the, the 2004 Green Party presidential candidate, David Cobb. He's been on a number of times. The 2008 Green Party presidential candidate, Cynthia McKinney, has been here. But somehow I failed to have you on in 2012. So I'm hoping to both apologize for and rectify that error today, Dr. Stein. Uh, well, we'll hold you to double time in this election. I think it's only fair. Uh, and, and frankly, <laughs> to, to make up for it, uh, let me start with a, a softball for you, maybe the softest of softballs. What does the Green Party stand for that the Democratic Party does not? Oh, man. Wow. See? Served well, it right Democrat up to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, really perfect. Um <laughs> You know, I'd say everything. <laughs> okay. Um, we sort of take up where the Democrats leave off, because while the Democrats may uh, say the right thing on, um, you know, supporting working people and, you know, our right to health care and so on, you know, what they do is something entirely different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can look at how they've treated labor and working people and their massive bailouts for Wall Street, for example, mm -hmm. once the White House went Democratic uh, nearly eight years ago. You know, who got the bailouts? You know, Wall Street did in a way that made George Bush look like a wimp. You know, George Bush wanted to uh, propose $700 billion, but uh, under Barack Obama it was many trillions. You know, we haven't seen the end of it. Or, you know, or foreign policy. Um, you know, the the guys running the show in the Democratic Party are basically, you know, the funders, and that's predatory banks and fossil fuel giants and war profiteers and the insurance companies, and that's what we get. And with the Democratic Party, you see basically a fake left, go right situation where they allow principled, inspired campaigns to stand up and be seen, but they sabotage them, you know, when push comes to shove. And that, unfortunately, is what we see going on right now with the Sanders campaign, which is making a valiant, um, you know, effort here to do the right thing and change the party. But unfortunately, Bernie's not the first one to try that. Mm -hmm. And the rules of the game were set up after George McGovern won the nomination as a peace candidate back in 1972. Mm -hmm. They changed the rules so that you have superdelegates and Super Tuesdays, and in addition, you have smear campaigns. And unfortunately, we're beginning to see that right now, uh, full-blown, particularly in the wake of the Nevada Democratic Convention, which was such a... Uh, you know, a, a horrifying display of manipulation on the part of the Democratic Party 
uh, insiders to control the process and to ram through new rules and suppress Bernie's votes. And, you know, this is like this is a poster child for what's going on in the Democratic Party. And then they turn around and they blame the Sanders supporters for trying to stand up for a democratic process. So, you know, Bernie's digging in, the Democratic Party is digging in, but there's very little question about who's got, you know, the nuclear weapons here in the hands of the Democratic Party. And, you know, our campaign is basically, for some people, it's plan B uh, for Bernie. Mm -hmm. You know, after uh, Bernie gets wiped out, for others, we're plan A, because what the Democratic Party has shown us over and over again is that while it talks the talk, it walks in exactly the opposite direction. It puts profit over people and profit over planet and profit over peace. And, you know, it, it will allow these good campaigns to get off the ground, but then it will basically sabotage them and absorb them back into the Democratic Party, and the party keeps moving to the right, and the reform effort has to start all over again in four years. And what's wrong with this picture? You know, this is like a Groundhog Day here, and, <laughs> and we got to wake up, and I think a lot of people are waking up to say, if we're going to have a revolutionary campaign, we need to have it in a revolutionary party. And, and that's what the Green Party is. And and I want to talk uh, in a bit about uh, more about Bernie Sanders and, and uh, a letter that you recently, an open letter that you recently put out to him. But uh, for the moment, let's, uh, well, let's stick since we're, you know, the deadline is coming up to change registration out here in California. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me give you an even softer ball than the one I gave you before. Why should Republicans or Libertarians... Uh, Uh, or even non-affiliated voters out here in California, why should they change their registration to vote green instead of for the GOP or the Libertarian candidate on uh, on June 7th? Pretty softball for you there, Jill. Well, you know, in in my opinion, uh, the Green Party gets corporations. You know, it's not just my opinion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Green Party doesn't take corporate money. Right. And our, you know, Bernie doesn't either, uh, I believe. But, you know, the party sure does, and they, they constrain their candidates. Mm-hmm. The Green Party does not take corporate money. We're the only national-scale party that is not poisoned by that toxic um, influence. So we actually have the liberty to stand up for the things that really matter, matter to people. That is basic, you know, community values, basic human values, basic values of democracy. And I think there are a lot of Republicans who don't buy the corporate takeover, the hostile Mm-hmm. corporate takeover that Donald Trump represents, but the Republican elite has represented really for quite some time. Um, their, you know, their their uh, unofficial agenda is really not what most of their supporters are looking for. Um, you know, it, it's not principled. It's completely sold out. And same goes for, for libertarians, who, for the most part, are grassroots folks that are really looking to get, you know, to sort of get big government out of the way, but in order mm-hmm. to do that, you also have to get big corporations out of the way so we can really have uh, grassroots democracy. Do I now? I think people should vote as uh, as they like. Period. Uh, that said, out here in California, uh, a green vote in the primary on June seven likely means that Bernie Sanders, uh, who who's almost certainly closer politically to the Greens than Hillary Clinton is. Uh, a vote for a green for you out here in California means that Bernie Sanders will do less well and will have less of a chance to make his case 
at the Democratic Party convention in July. Why should folks register for the Green Party and vote for a green ballot instead, uh, as you see it well, out here in California? Yeah. So, so and again, we're talking just about the, the we're talking just about the primary. We're not into November yet and, and spoiler issues and so forth. So just on the primary, why should they uh, vote for Green instead of Bernie out here? And I don't want to stand in the way of anyone who really believes that, uh, you know, Bernie has a fighting chance and they want to fight to the end. And I really respect um, what the burners are doing, and they've lifted up a really compelling agenda. I have no doubt at the end of the day uh, they could climb the mountain, but to go to the promised land, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's going to take an independent third party. The Democrats will not allow it. And right now, you know, it's very clear that we are heading for a, an epic fight at the Democratic Party convention. Mm -hmm. I think there's almost no way around it. That's going to happen uh, regardless of the results in California. For Bernie to get the, um, you know, the pledge delegates that he needs, he's going to need to win in California by 67%, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it will need to be a bigger win than he's ever gotten. It's unlikely he's going to get that, and it's unlikely he's going to persuade superdelegates. They are there to circle the wagons. They are not there to respond to uh, the electorate or to reason. You know, in fact, they are blaming Bernie Sanders for uh, Hillary slipping in the poll. Well, you actually, know, uh, aren't, aren't not, the not the other way around. Well, aren't the superdelegates? No, I, uh, my apologies. Uh, aren't the superdelegates? Uh, actually, the, I mean, if if they are there to uh, underscore the electorate, we don't need superdelegates at all. In other words, if you know, then you just go with whoever gets the majority. Aren't those superdelegates there actually to uh, make sure the party selects the most electable candidate come November? Isn't that uh, the argument that Bernie Sanders will make in July? And isn't that a good argument for for him to make? And you know, that's the argument. And uh, doesn't people, wouldn't mm -hmm. people voting for you in the green uh, uh, primary out here in California, wouldn't that uh, uh, cut the knees out from under that argument that uh, Sanders hopes to make? Um, and that's why I say, if you buy into that argument, do it. Do the right thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, our, our campaigns converge. You know, and whether they converge before the primary or whether they converge after the primary, the Democratic Party has a very clear track record. Whether you go back to the way they shut the microphone off on um, uh, Henry Wallace, mm -hmm. uh, the vice presidential nominee uh, under FDR, right. you know, they shut the microphone off and they adjourned the convention. You know, after that, they were a little more subtle. You know, Jesse Jackson, they mounted a smear campaign. Um, you know, uh, Dennis Kucinich, they redistricted. Uh, Howard Dean, they did the Dean scream, you know. And I think what we're seeing now is the Dean scream of 2016. This is the sabotage uh, of mm. the Sanders campaign being conducted by the Democrats. Mm. But for those who want to stick it out, I said, go for it. You know, do that. I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to obstruct Bernie's fight and I greatly appreciate that fight. I don't have much doubt myself where this fight is going and who's going to win this fight. Unfortunately, the superdelegates, I don't believe, were created in order to, you know, ensure the most viable candidate. They were created to put a firewall around grassroots campaigns and to make sure that the likes of George McGovern, a peace candidate, uh, could never prevail again in a grassroots process, and they've been very successful 
at doing that. On uh, on Tuesday night, this was as the results were coming in for uh, the Kentucky and the Oregon primaries, uh, both of which are closed primaries uh, where only registered Democrats can mm-hmm. participate. You tweeted at, at your uh, Twitter address, Dr. Jill Stein, you uh, tweeted, restrictive and undemocratic ballot access laws are meant to force principled candidates to abide by establishment primary rules. Hashtag uh, Kentucky primary. I tweeted to you in response to ask, why doesn't the Green Party allow crossover voting for independence in its California primary out here on June 7th. I didn't get an answer on Twitter, mm-hmm. so I'd love if you can mm-hmm. answer, uh, offer a reason now. If if you guys are so inclusive, why does it, why does the party uh, have a closed primary out here in California? So let me answer that in a, in a big way. First of all, you know, how to handle the question of open or closed primaries is hotly debated in the Green Party. So there is not one uniform opinion here, but there is a very uniform overarching opinion, which is that the rules of the game, as you pointed out earlier, are made as complicated and incomprehensible as possible in order to keep people in the dark and lock them out. So there are, you know, closed primaries is one piece of a massive system to uh, silence and disempower voters. So there's all kinds of stuff that we need to do. I personally... Myself, I do think that there is an argument for closed primaries in a multi-partisan system. We should have many choices for people. We don't right now. We only have two. So the whole notion of closed versus open primaries is kind of crazy. It's a very closed process to start with. It's also closed because you need a huge amount of money to compete on the current playing field. It's closed because the corporate press won't cover you. It's closed because the ballot access rules keep you off the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it's closed because the debates exclude uh, everybody who's not a part of the two priorities who control the debate. So it's closed from A to Z, and what you're doing on any one particular detail is not as critical, in my view, as really overhauling the process. So, yes, primaries should be open, but we need to have many choices and many voices that participate in these primaries. And we should have free media for qualified candidates and we, you know, who are ballot access qualified. If you have a ballot line and you can win the election, voters deserve to know about you. They deserve to know who their choices are. Um, and mm-hmm. by, you know, making the airwaves, shall we say, reclaiming, the public airwaves. Yes, please for the do. Public, we actually yes. we make <laughs> then we make uh, then we actually make campaigns really cheap, and the bottom falls out uh, from under this staggering cost of campaigns just by opening up public discussion to ballot qualified candidates, Ooh. and that includes then, of course, simplifying the rules of ballot access, which right now are designed to limit discussion to just the two establishment parties that are throwing us not only under the bus economically, but over the cliff on climate and on international peace and security. You mentioned, uh, well, you talk obviously a lot about uh, big money in politics and corporate money in politics. That's been a big issue for I know for you and for the Green Party for years before it even came up, uh, sadly, uh, as part of the Democratic uh, campaign. But um, but doesn't Bernie Sanders, in one sense, his campaign, doesn't that somewhat counter the idea that big corporate money is needed to wage a successful campaign? That, in other words, if a candidate 
is exciting enough and offering ideas to the people that the people really want that the money will then follow? Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Does, does that make sure. sense? Sure, yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's actually a catch-22, <laughs> because in order for Bernie to have really harnessed this wave of mm-hmm. public um, you know, outrage and dissent, you know, he was able to use the Democratic Party infrastructure, which was great. You know, and that's why he decided to run uh, as a Democrat, or mm-hmm. one of the key reasons, because that way he knew his voice would be heard. By pledging loyalty to the Democratic Party, he was able to get into the debates, unlike Dennis Kucinich, who was locked out because he wouldn't pledge loyalty. Um, you know, but, but that comes back to bite him, because that also, at the end of the day, puts him inside of a system that has very big guns to sabotage real rebels with integrity. So we're seeing that cycle play out right now. As long as you play by the rules of the game, you know, they can uh, pull it right out from under mm. you uh, and prevent you from going to the promised land. So ideally, you know, I think we need to, we need to work together here, and we can talk about my, um, my outreach to, to Bernie Sanders, yeah, but one way or the other, we can play tag team here so that you're both, you, you jumpstart this inside the parties, but because those parties will sabotage you, Ultimately, we have to deliver the goods outside of the party to a place of independence where we can truly grow this revolution for the long haul. Okay, well, I want to talk about that letter that uh, that you sent to Bernie Sanders and about harnessing public outrage and dissent. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with Dr. Jill Stein, Green Party candidate for President of the United States in 2016 and the 2012 nominee for the Green Party. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about that letter, that outreach to Bernie Sanders. And, of course, the big question that I suspect always happens when you have a quote-unquote third-party candidate. Uh, is she willing to be a spoiler this November and uh, essentially give the race to Donald Trump? We'll see. I will ask about all of that and more with Jill Stein right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Yeah. Yeah. And people tend to pass you over. They do. Because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water. No. Or stars in the sky. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. No, it's not easy being green, but uh, Dr. Jill Stein... Is giving it a good fight anyway. Dr. Jill Stein is my guest today. She was the 2012 nominee for the Green Party for President of the United States, and she is running to uh, earn that distinction again this year in the 2016 race. Jill, you recently wrote 
an open letter to Bernie Sanders inviting him essentially to cooperate on the political revolution that he's uh, he's calling for, essentially floating the idea of of some sort of unity ticket. Uh, you write in this wildly unpredictable election where the old rules are giving way one by one. Can we think outside the box and find new and unexpected ways to synergize beyond obsolete partisan divides? You go on to say, I would love to explore with you. To this is to Bernie Sanders. I would love to explore with you collaborative ways to advance uh, to advance that effort and ensure that ensure the revolution for the people, the planet, and that peace will prevail. Please let me know if you're interested in talking. Has Bernie or the uh, or the Sanders campaign responded to that open letter? And and what were you hoping for uh, with with such an invite specifically? Well, you know the the missing link here is is the conversation, um, because that could be a gateway to all kinds of solutions, whether it's collaborating on, you know, on the, at the level of the social movement, cabinet positions, uh, joint ticket. Many of these things are possible, at least from the green side, and there would be administrative hurdles, but they might be um, overcomable. Um, I mean, certainly uh, in some areas easier than others, but there would be a whole spectrum of options to uh, to collaborate on, but the missing link is uh, a word from Bernie that mm-hmm. he would be interested in doing this and that he has come to see, in fact, the necessity for independent uh, third-party politics, which is not controlled by the big corporate guns at the end of the day. And he's getting enough of a, a beating, an outrageous um, assault right now that's being conducted on his campaign mm-hmm. that maybe uh, maybe he will you know, uh, have a, uh, a change of heart and a change of mind. So I'll, I'll I'm take, not holding my breath, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, but, uh, I'll take that uh, as saying that he has not responded to the letter and that the campaign hasn't either. But what were you hoping for when you talk about alternatives? I mean, are you were you literally talking about a unity ticket? You and Bernie Sanders running as uh, on, on the Green Party ticket? Is that part of what you are thinking about? There are some technical... Um, uh, considerations here that would have to be explored. But, uh, yes, I would put all options on the table, including a unity ticket. How many ballots, how many state ballots will the Green Party uh, presidential candidate be on this November, Jill Stein? We hope to be on all of the ballots or just about all of them. In the last race uh, in 2012, we were on the ballot for about 84% of voters. This time around, uh, at this point in the cycle, we are on the ballot for all the large states, and that includes California, New York, Texas, Florida. Um, we have ballot drives going on full speed ahead mm-hmm. in Illinois and Pennsylvania. Those are the two major states that we have not locked down yet. And then there are a variety of small states which are also in process. So, so I'd say to people, if you want to be sure that you have a real uh, choice of mm-hmm. buying for the people, to continue the revolution, you know, join our ballot access drive and make sure we get there. So you're confident there will be that the Green Party uh, presidential candidate, uh, whoever it is, and I, I should add you've got, I think, about four or five uh, competitors on the ballot in uh, out here in California on June 7. Uh, but whoever that uh, nominee is, you're mm-hmm. confident that you guys will be on enough uh, state ballots around the country to secure the delegates that would be need or the electoral votes, I should say, to win the to win the White House. 
we are already on the ballot for a majority of voters, mm-hmm. so we actually already have um, access to enough electoral um, college mm-hmm. votes that if we had debates right now, if the presidential debate were open to candidates who actually had a mathematical um, potential to win, then we would be included in those debates right now. But we are going for 100%. And I've never understood, it always seemed to me that the baseline for being included in the uh, in the presidential debates in the general election should be, are, is the party, uh, is the nominee with a party that is on mm-hmm. enough state ballots that they could actually win the White House? And if that's the case with the Green Party, I know you were not allowed into the presidential debates in 2012. Right. And... Uh, you and I, I believe uh, Governor Gary Johnson, I put out a, a note on Twitter asking folks if they had any questions for you. Our friends at Free and Equal Foundation said that you had filed a joint lawsuit with Governor mm-hmm. Gary Johnson, who is running uh, once again on the Libertarian ticket against the Commission on De- Presidential Debates. What's the status of that lawsuit? Was that for 2012 or is that for 2016 as well? That's for 2016. Okay. And the good news, the good news is that uh, both Barack Obama and Mitt Romney many months ago filed motions to dismiss one of the cases. We have two cases filed, and they tried to get one of them knocked out of court. And the good news M- is Mitt that... Mitt Romney? Uh, they have not six- Mitt Romney? Yeah. Why, Mitt Rom- what does he have to do with it? <laughs> because he uh, was, you know, was the uh, nominee in 2012. So, uh, you know, he was a Republican nominee and the beneficiary of the debate. Okay. So I guess that's his standing. Okay. Um, that particular case, I think, is is also seeking damages to uh, my campaign and Jerry, Gary Johnson's for having been unjustly excluded by uh, what we really regard as an illegal commission, that mm-hmm. is the Commission on Presidential Debates, which pretends to be a public interest organization, but it's actually um, a uh, private nonprofit corporation run by the Democratic and Republican parties, for the purpose of restricting debate and discussion. So they are, you know, we are taking them to court around this, and that's why Mitt Romney and uh, Obama both submitted uh, their claims that uh, the case should be uh, dismissed out of hand. Mm -hmm. But the court hasn't seen fit to do that uh, after many months. So these cases are still working their way through the process, and there are two of them. At the end of the day, though, you know, what usually decides big things like this is not so much the court of law as the court of public opinion. And there's no doubt that people are, you know, will go bananas if the debate is restricted to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Um, you know, so I'd say hold on to your hat and get ready and go to our website and sign up for debate action. Last time uh, my running mate and I were arrested, to, you know, to make the point mm-hmm. that these debates should be open. The American people have a right to vote, and we also have a right to know who we can vote for and to know about those candidates. So this is, you know, this is an essential uh, function of democracy. This is what freedom of the press is all about. You need an informed electorate now more than ever 
uh, in a presidential campaign. So we intend to start the action uh, earlier to ensure that the American people have a right to know what their choices are in this election. Uh, back in 2004, as I recall, uh, then Green Party presidential candidate David Cobb uh, suggested to folks in swing states like Ohio, uh, where results could be very, could have, you know, were very close back in 2004 uh, and, and could have flipped the national presidential race to Republicans. David Cobb suggested that people vote Democratic instead of Green in that general election and that uh, voters in so-called safe Democratic states like California use that opportunity to vote Green. This brings up the spoiler issue. Do you agree with uh, that strategy this year as well? If you get uh, you know, down to November and it looks like it's going to be very close and that you, in fact, Jill Stein, if you win the nomination, uh, people voting for you could end up giving the election to a Donald Trump? So let me, see. Let me say uh, one thing at the outset. First of all, Donald Trump is a product of... Clintonism, to coin a new word, but, but Donald Trump is riding the wave of economic despair, right? You know, all these white working people whose lives and livelihood have really been uh, kind of raked over the coals. And it's widely accepted that that is a major force uh, behind the rise of Donald Trump, this economic dislocation. Uh, but where did that come from? You know, that came from NAFTA, which sent our jobs overseas, and it came from Wall Street deregulation. So in other words, Clinton policies, you know, passed by Bill, but thoroughly supported and advocated for by Hillary, who continues to advocate for them, um, you know, that's what brought us this economic despair, which is breeding radical uh, right-wing populism, so you put Hillary in there, and you're going to get more of that. So this is not the solution. And let me also point out that the lesser evil paves the way to the greater evil. That's why we saw Congress flip after the uh, Democratic White House basically stood up for Wall Street and threw Main Street to the dogs and expanded the wars and created this all-of-the-above policy, which is basically a drill-baby-drill-on-steroids. We have massively escalated fossil fuel production with a smile, note you, but uh, we're hardly fixing that problem. So the, the, the lesser evil basically generated the backlash into the greater evil, not only in Congress, but in state after state, in legislature after legislature, and governor after governor, because you don't come out and vote for a party that is uh, throwing you under the bus, even if they're doing it a little bit less uh, violently than the other guy might do it, mm -hmm. the base doesn't come out to vote. So it's a fallacy that the lesser evil is some kind of solution. It's only a, uh, an assured stepping stone to the greater evil. So, um, so let me just say as a bottom line, yeah. the, 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 this politics of fear that tells you you have to vote against what you're afraid of instead of for what you believe in, the politics of fear has a track record. It has delivered everything we were afraid of. All the reasons you were told you had to bite your tongue and let the lesser evil speak for you, we've gotten all those things by the droves, the expanding wars, the meltdown of the climate, the offshoring of our jobs, the attack on immigrants. We've gotten all of that. Not that there aren't some differences between the two parties, but they're not enough to save your life, to save your job, or to save your planet. Uh, this is a race to the bottom. 
between the two sold-out corporate parties. The only way we're going to turn this around is by standing up and leading the way. Democracy does not exist in a vacuum. Fear and silence are not what it needs. It needs voices and values. It needs a moral compass. We are the ones we've been waiting for. The corporate parties aren't going to do it for us. Remember this. The majority of Trump voters are not for Trump. They're against Hillary. This is CNN's poll last week. And the majority of Hillary's voters are not for Hillary. They're against Trump. What's wrong with this picture? Well, there we is, need something to be for. Well, and, and, and that's what our campaign is there. And and for. I and I understand, and I think you you make a compelling case. But let me uh, you you said that uh, Trump is uh, riding the wave of economic despair. I, I would say he's riding the wave of media failure to let Americans know what Absolutely. is actually going on in their country. Yes. But uh, Dr. Indeed. Jill Stein, before I let you go, just to make clear, uh, <laughs> you are saying that uh, come November. You have uh, you if you are the nominee uh, and uh, voters going to you would make the difference between Donald Trump becoming the next president or Hillary Clinton becoming the next president. You're cool with Donald Trump becoming becoming the next president. Correct. I am not cool. I am not cool with Donald Trump and I am not cool with Hillary Clinton, whose first act could be to get us into a nuclear war with Russia because she's all for the um, I know I, I understand, the, but the you air fight over Syria. You will yeah, have. I'm not cool with either of them. Are you cool with Hillary Clinton? Well, no, that's I'm not. I'm not. No. Hillary Clinton created Donald Trump. Well, I'm not cool with a corrupt political system. Well, I'm. I'm we not have running. No choice except to stand up. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not running for president. But you will have. Well, you, you are voting. But you will have potentially great power. Uh, you know, as the Green Party nominee. And so that's why I say, are you cool with Donald Trump being the president no, rather than Hillary Clinton cool. if those are the two I'm, choices? I am not, and we don't have just two choices. And that's the point. Okay. If all the people who are voting for Trump because they hate Hillary and all the people who are voting for Hillary because they hate Trump actually had a person of integrity with public interest values who was not corrupted by the war profiteers and the predatory banks, you know, if they had a Bernie Sanders-type person and agenda to vote for, they would be voting for it. And if the Democrats had the integrity to allow Bernie Sanders to go forward, they would have that vote. But they don't. So why, you know, less democracy is not the solution to a democracy on life support. We are all going to go down with this ship. I could not face my children and grandchildren not having done everything I can to turn us around because we are on a trajectory <laughs> that does not look good, which is outrageous because we could fix this. Now, once we have the courage of our, our convictions, remember this one thing alone. There are 43 million young people who are locked into predatory student loan debt, young and not so young, actually. And they have nowhere to turn except to our campaign. We are the one campaign that will cancel student debt. Now, if that word gets out on the Internet, you have a plurality of voters in a three-way race who can come out and win this election in with the stroke of a pen. They can end their debt and win the election in the same fell swoop. So, you know, in Alice Walker's words, the biggest way people give up power is by not knowing we have it to start with. We have it. It's time to use it. Uh, time to forget the lesser evil and fight for the greater good, like our lives depend on it, because they do. 
You heard her. You have the power. And if you're out here in California, you have the power to uh, to change your registration if you like to vote in the Green Party uh, primary. But you got to change it by May 23rd on Monday. Uh, Dr. Jill Stein, I wish you luck in that primary and, uh, of course, in the weeks and months afterwards. Great speaking with you. I hope we can do it again uh, in the near future. Dr. Jill Stein, check her out on the Twitters, of course, at Dr. Jill Stein and uh, at her campaign website, Jill 2016.com. Easy to remember. You can also get more information on the Green Party at gp.org. Jill Stein, great speaking with you. Hope to do it again uh, in the near future. Likewise. Thanks so much, Brad, for all your great work. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one-time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva! Viva Las Vegas! Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Very interesting conversation. My thanks again to uh, Jill Stein of the Green Party. Uh, you can uh, you can check out what they do at uh, GP. That's GreenParty.org, GP.org, and of course Jill2016.com. You know, uh, Dizzy Doyen, I am not convinced at uh, by the uh, at least not yet uh, by the uh, the conversation, the argument she offered there at the end, the lesser of two evils argument. I've heard this obviously before, and I've had um, I know many of our listeners when we open up the phones to call in, they make that same case that voting. You know, for the lesser of two evils is still voting for evil. And that's, <laughs> and that's logical. It's true. Well, but... it, it is true. But um, <laughs> Donald Trump is a uh, what do they say? A horse, uh, a horse of a different color. I would say he is say. weapons grade trolling that we don't really need to have in the presidency. Well, we don't need to have him. But here's the thing. You know, because the case can be made, oh, we don't need to have Hillary Clinton and, and you know, what she brings. True. Um, but Donald Trump, we're, we're not talking about someone who is just who has uh, policies I disagree with. We are talking about someone who is uniquely unqualified to hold the position. It's not a matter of my disagreeing with what he what what he says or does. Uh, I disagree with, you know, many of the things that Hillary Clinton says or does. 
but he is uniquely unqualified to be president of the United States. He does not know what he is talking about. I am more qualified to be president of the United States. And frankly, if I was running, I would be convincing people to not vote for me because I am also not qualified. But I'm more qualified than Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, so I, I and not just, uh, you know, more qualified. I think he is dangerously unqualified. It would be dangerous to have him in the White House. I do not believe it would be dangerous, at least not on the scale that Donald Trump would present, to have Hillary Clinton in the White House. But I am open to your arguments. You can feel free to drop me email. I always hear from folks on this point. Uh, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, I'm open to be convinced. I'm always open. That's why we uh, have these discussions. That's why I'm happy to have on Jill Stein uh, and and hear from as many people as I can. Uh, she is right, however, or at least I agree with her uh, on on what she calls the Dean scream. What she call it, the Dean scream uh, moment uh, that they are now that the Democratic Party is now waging against Bernie Sanders in yeah. trying to uh, get rid of him since Nevada. Uh, it really is. Uh, they they are making a play. Um, to get him out, to get him out of the race. And they are doing so dishonestly. They're pointing to that Nevada, to what happened at the Democratic Nevada Convention, which we talked about on this show. We went through in, in pretty uh, pretty good detail uh, earlier in the week, uh, playing video from what happened there, video from the uh, uh, Democratic chair, uh, the Nevada Democratic chair gaveling the meeting shut without a proper vote, refusing to uh, properly vote on uh, uh, amendments and so forth that were being uh, brought up by uh, uh, Sanders supporters. And since then, what that event has been turned into is rather remarkable. Um, and and we saw Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And this is funny. I'm glad that Jill Stein brought up Nevada because, uh, Des, you had put together this montage. This was Debbie Wasserman Schultz on CNN on Tuesday night. Primary night. Uh, primary night uh, for Kentucky and Oregon. Uh, and she was asked about Nevada. And I think the whole interview was, what, about six minutes with Debbie Wasserman? It was Wasserman about seven, Schultz? actually. About seven minutes. Uh, and she repeated this over and over again. And now, promise me, Des, you you made this edit. Uh, are there any repeats here? There are not. Okay. So this is what she said in her six or seven minutes, uh, how many times she talked about what, violence, violence and intimidation at this convention in Las Vegas on Saturday. Violence and intimidation are never acceptable under any circumstances. Violence and intimidation, violence and intimidation, that violence and intimidation is never acceptable. And acting violently or engaging in intimidation tactics for violence and intimidation to be the response. Violence and intimidation that those tactics be condemned. Okay, so violence and intimidation, violence and intimidation. Now, uh, as I understand, we've heard the phone calls. Uh, s uh, some people were very angry at, uh, what's her name, Roberta Lang or Lange, the uh, chair of the Nevada Democratic Party, the one who you know refused to properly uh, hold a vote, uh, who claimed that uh, the eyes have it when in fact the nays had it or it was certainly tied. Uh, there were phone calls that apparently people left on her machine that were quite threatening and quite scary and frankly quite terribly inappropriate, no matter who it was who left those uh, messages to her. Uh, you know, they were threatening, they were intimidating, they were very scary. 
Now, we don't know who they came from. We don't know if, in fact, these were Bernie Sanders supporters. Presumably they are, and I'm willing to grant that they are. And uh, whoever did it, it's totally inappropriate, should never happen. But this violence and intimidation at the convention, uh, I, I, I waded through, as that was going on on Saturday and the weekend and preparing for the show, I waded through more video of that, you know, that what happened there, trying to figure out what the hell happened at, in Las Vegas at the Paris uh, Hotel in that conference room, trying to figure it out. And I, I, I did not see any violence. I did not see any violence. And I don't think I saw any intimidation either, unless... You know, rowdy crowds getting uh, yelled at, part, uh, participating. They were getting yelled at. Yeah, yeah everybody was yelling and at everybody. And she was yelling at them. They were yelling at, at, at her as well. And yes, there were uh, bad words uh, scream hurled at her uh, after she uh, um, gaveled the meeting shut. Uh, but, you know, no, there were no chairs that were thrown. This is what I've heard repeated over and over again. Chairs that were thrown. So here was Debbie Wasserman Schultz on CNN on election night, a big night when everyone's looking at, uh, you know, looking at CNN for these results. Yeah, that very, very close race in Kentucky. We're waiting to see what was going to happen in Oregon. And uh, here's what Debbie Wasserman Schultz said to Wolf Blitzer. And what happened at that convention was unacceptable. I was not at the convention, and the Democratic National Committee didn't have anything to do with what, what the, uh, the, the way the meeting was run. I was not there, but I, I do know, because there was video and acknowledgement, that chairs were thrown at the stage, that violence was used, that the state party chair, Roberta Lang, who has worked in the trenches to elect Democrats for decades, has been threatened. Okay, now, as I mentioned, uh, yes, she did receive threats. That's after, afterwards, after the convention. Totally inappropriate. But Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who heads up the, uh, the National Democratic Party, says, we know because we saw the video of, of chair, what did she say, chairs being chairs thrown? Chairs being thrown. And, and, and violence? Uh, no, didn't see it. Saw no chairs. Maybe chairs were thrown. If they were, however, apparently either they're not on video or I haven't seen that video. If anybody has it, please let me know. But this is being used, in fact, as a uh, as as Jill Stein said, a, a Dean screen Dean scream moment to basically uh, tar and feather Bernie Sanders claiming, you know, he wasn't even there, by the way, uh, but claiming that his supporters are violent. They are intimidating. They were throwing chairs and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's supposed to be the uh, the the. The arbiter here, the, he's not there, she's not supposed to endorse a candidate. She's saying she actually saw it on video, these chairs being thrown. Well, no, that is not the case. And yet it has been repeated, not just on CNN, not just by the chair of the Democratic Party, but all over the media, in fact, uh, over on NPR, which, to their credit, actually went back and did a fact check on this. After someone wrote in uh, to NPR to say in the aftermath of the convention, a single report of, quote, throwing chairs and rushing the stages by an openly partisan journalist became the story for every major news outlet. In particular, the dramatic image of throwing chairs seemed to strike reporters so uh, as great stuff. So it was repeated. And then the listener went on to say, uh, according to her research, she could not find thrown chairs either. She went on to say, if it did not happen, claims of violence which depend on it are simply not sustainable. 
And uh, the NPR fact checker looked at it and said that, yes, in fact, the online uh, NPR story about the Vegas convention had reported that uh, Sanders supporters, believing they had been treated unfairly, rushed the stage through chairs and were shouting obscenities, according to Nevada journalist John Ralston. And that seems to be where all of these reports are coming from, that one report from John Ralston in Nevada. Uh, and I've had my own run-ins with uh, Mr. Ralston. Uh, he is a good reporter, but in, he's got a lot of blind spots. He is a Hillary partisan. Uh, in any case, uh, AP also reported that chairs were thrown. Uh, and and uh, the NPR goes on to say, in the extensive video posted on social media in the aftermath of the convention, I've so far found none of a chair being thrown. No videos of a chair being thrown, says NPR. One video shows a chair being lifted in the air. Other videos do show angry Sanders supporters. Talking Points Memo, who is also a very much uh, in favor of Hillary Clinton, also tried to get to the bottom of what happened. And they were unable to come up with a video of these chairs being thrown either or of any of this violence that uh, they are using to harm, to hurt Bernie Sanders. Beth Donovan, NPR senior Washington editor, was asked to respond to concerns by uh, NPR's Elizabeth Jensen, who was doing the fact check here. And uh, apparently Donovan wrote, uh, several members of our staff watched live video that showed a man brandishing a chair. Nevada analyst John Ralston, who was in the room and over time has been a very reliable source, reported that a chair was thrown. We okayed using and sourcing his reporting, but she added, when Ralston's reporting came under question, we adjusted our language by not repeating the word thrown. Well, that message apparently did not get to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Who believes that there's actual video of this? She says, we saw the video. Uh, Donovan went on to add, so was there violence? There was pushing, shoving and screaming. A chair was brandished and a great deal of hostile, uh, hostile and obscene language used. Several editors and reporters saw and heard the video live and later people on the ground described it as violence. It doesn't seem a stretch to me to describe it as violence. Well, it does seem a stretch to me when you're making a serious claim like that. That's a very serious claim about a presidential candidate to make. Elizabeth Jensen at NPR goes on to write, Donovan and I disagree on this. Violence, which NPR more often uses to describe events in war zones, seems too strong a term to me uh, based on the evidence I have seen so far. And the politics team's own decision to avoid the word thrown renders uh, this introduction uh, to their piece, uh, unless other eyewitnesses, uh, renders it misleading, unless other eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses come forward to clarify the event. Here was the lead of the piece on NPR. Senator Bernie Sanders is answering for violence at the Nevada Democratic Party's state convention, where his supporters threw chairs and hurled obscenities, as Hillary Clinton claimed the most delegates. That was the lead of the story. That was the beginning of the story. He's answering for violence. Violence that apparently did not exist. I had hoped to not wade into this part of uh, uh, this mess, actually. Uh, you know, I like to see a spirited democracy take place, uh, and which means sometimes people get angry. Sometimes people use language they shouldn't. Uh, but when you've got the media out there misreporting what actually went on, actually misinforming uh, people, when you've got Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the head of the Democratic Party, actually misinforming people and frankly lying about what happened in order to do it, uh, 
I think that needs to be called out. So good on NPR for calling out NPR uh, for uh, for getting this story completely wrong and for, yes, smearing Bernie Sanders. Um, and, uh, well, actually good on uh, all the media folks out there who have the courage to stand up and uh, tell the truth and clear the air with actual facts instead of misreporting stuff they heard that they heard someone said. Nah, anyway. All right. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to the Green Party's Dr. Jill Stein. Get more information on her at jill2016.com. And, of course, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of the program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where we hope you will give us a good review. Oh, yeah. Find me. Follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad blog. Hashtag Bradcast. OK, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.